Hear the word of God from Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? For the even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Craig. Well, you all have survived another Gasparilla. You have braved the cold and the wind and the rain to get here. You have proven yourselves to be the elect of the saints of Hyde Park United Methodist Church. And your big fat reward is you get to hear a sermon on loving your enemies. (laughs) Whoopie-doo. Let's just name it up front. What Jesus is asking us to do in Luke chapter 6 is not only unreasonable, it is biologically impossible. Psychologists tell us this, that when we're attacked, when there's a threat, when we see an enemy, our brains are hardwired to fight or to flee, not to love. Would have made a whole lot more sense, biologically speaking, if Jesus had said in Luke chapter 6... Then Jesus saith, when thou dost see an enemy, allow thy amygdala and hippocampus to activate thy adrenal gland, that the adrenaline and cortisol doth produce thereof, cause thee to strike back or to run away. Yea, verily saith the Lord, flee or fight, and thou shalt be saved. I had to Google all that. I don't know all that stuff. That's what our bodies want to say. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus says to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who persecute us, to do good to those who want to do harm against us. And then to add further measure at the end, he says, be merciful, 
Don't judge, don't condemn, forgive. And at the very beginning of it all, he says, love your enemies. Man, we wish Jesus had never said that. If you happen to read my midweek message earlier in the week, last Thursday, you know that I reflected a bit on the trendy question of the day. Does this spark joy? It is the question that is asked of Marie Kondo of the very popular series on Netflix, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, based on her wildly popular best-selling book, in which she she instructs people as to how to declutter their lives. And what she asks people to do is to take some possession, some object that they own, and hold it close to them and simply ask the question, does this object spark joy for me? And if the answer is yes, you keep it. If the answer is no, then you discard it or donate it. Many of you have seen that show. My daughters and I are currently living that show. Even as recently as this past weekend, during Gasparilla yesterday, I was fighting a bad cold and Marie condoing my closet. Your senior pastor is a party animal. (laughs) But it's interesting, that, that idea of sparking joy triggered for me some thinking about what word in the Bible comes closest to capturing the essence of sparking joy. And it occurred to me, that of all the words in the New Testament, the Greek word that comes close to this idea of sparking joy is the word agape. Agape. It's the most important Greek word for love. Many times when we think about agape love, we think about the love that God has for us, right? The unconditional, self-giving, self-sacrificing love that God has for us. But what's interesting is The Bible uses agape not just to describe the relationship between God and humans, but the love that can take place between humans and each other. The 18th century or the 19th century American Methodist biblical scholar James Strong defines agape this way. He says, it's a feeling of being well-pleased and contented at or with something, or to welcome, to entertain, to love dearly, to be fond of something or someone. That sounds an awful lot like sparking joy to me. And what's fascinating is that of all the words that Jesus could have used to relate to our enemies, he uses that word agape. We're not simply supposed to tolerate our enemies Jesus said we're not simply supposed to refuse to do harm against our enemies or to coexist with our enemies. We are to agape our enemies, which means we're not supposed to ignore them or discard them like an old piece of clothing. We're supposed to hold our enemies close and allow that experience with our enemies to spark joy for us. That's what Jesus is saying. How much more unreasonable could this command be? What in the world would it mean to agape our enemies? Well, I'm thankful once again for the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We celebrated him as a country last Monday. I I preached on him last Sunday. I'd like to offer for you another set of words from Dr. King today. 
You know, as it turns out, as I read up on his sermons this past week, he had as a public practice, every single year he would preach at least one sermon, a different sermon, but at least one sermon on loving your enemies every single year, which means countless numbers of times he preached on this text. One of the lesser known sermons was simply titled, Loving Your Enemies. And in that sermon, he pretty much nails, describes just how hard it is to do this command that Jesus has offered to us. This is what he says at the beginning of the sermon. Certainly, these are great words, words lifted to cosmic proportions. And over the centuries, many persons have argued that this is an extremely difficult command. No kidding. Many would go so far as to say that it just isn't possible to move out into the actual practice of this glorious command. They would go on to say that this is just additional proof that Jesus was an impractical idealist who never quite came down to earth. So the arguments abound. But toward the end of the sermon, Dr. King concludes with these words about loving your enemies. This command, he says, is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization. Love even for our enemies. Now, thankfully, in that very same sermon, Dr. King offers three very practical words of advice for us as to how to love our enemies. He was a preacher, after all, so he had three points. And for us, these are going to serve as our three guideposts lifted straight from Dr. King's sermon on this text of loving our enemies. Guidepost number one, look at yourself. Look at yourself, Dr. King says. This is what he says. Here's another excerpt. We must face the fact that an individual might dislike us because of something that we've done deep down in our past, some personality attribute that we possess, something that we've done deep down in the past and we've forgotten about it, but it was that something that aroused the hate response within the individual. That is why I say, begin with yourself. There might be something within you that arouses the tragic hate response in the other individual. I mean, this is hard. When we see someone who has hurt us, someone we consider our enemy, our temptation is to fixate only on them and find fault with them. But Dr. King says that's not the place to start. It is to do a deep dive introspection into your own life, to look at yourself and discover what needs to be confessed. Theologian Justo Gonzalez invites people, when they take a look at this text from Luke 6, to ask this question, what if I'm the enemy? Hmm? What if I'm the persecutor? What if I am the unrighteous? Because the truth be told, the Christian church has had a long history of not only failing to forgive, but failing to see themselves as the enemy. 
I'll give you just one example. The relationship between Christians and Jews throughout history. Christians over time have blamed the Jews for the death of Jesus. This, this Jesus who, as you remember, was dying on the cross and looked at his Jewish and Roman tormentors and said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. But the followers of Jesus since then have not only failed to forgive, but have failed to look within themselves to identify how they might even be the enemy. Preacher Barbara Brown Taylor once preached a sermon where she spent a good portion of the sermon just offering a long timeline of ways that the Christian church has in fact been the enemy in its treatment of Jewish people. One year after another, for about a thousand years, she begins in the sermon with 1096, when the first crusade happened and there was a slaughter of Jews in the Rhineland. And then Jews were massacred in England in 1190. And then there was the Inquisition in 1233, where Christians said to Jews, convert to Christianity or you die. Jews were expelled from England, burned in Switzerland, expelled from France, expelled from Spain over the next 200 years. Over and over again, Christians committing atrocities against Jewish people, culminating, of course, in 1939 to 1945, when six million Jews died in Europe, including one and a half million children. Christians are notorious for not seeing themselves as the enemy. So here's the tough question for you. In your relationship with someone that you might consider to be your enemy, loving them might mean first looking within yourself to ask if there might be any way that you have been the enemy as well. This is hard. But it's an important place to begin. And then Dr. King offers guidepost number two. Look for the good in others. Look for the good in others, not just fixating on the bad. Again, here's an excerpt from King's sermon. A second thing, he says, that an individual must do in seeking to love his enemy is to discover the element of good in his enemy. And every time you begin to hate that person and think of hating that person, realize that there is some good there. And look at those good points, which will overbalance the bad points. See, sometimes the reason we fixate on the bad qualities of someone else is that we are seeing in them the bad qualities in them that we ourselves are struggling with in our own lives. And if we do what Dr. King is suggesting, if we choose instead to look at the good that they offer rather than fixating on the bad, then maybe we can learn to focus on the good qualities in ourselves rather than beating ourselves up and being shameful about the bad qualities that we are trying to suppress and ignore, which means that if we can learn to forgive somebody else, we might just learn to forgive ourselves. If we can learn to be at peace with someone else's bad qualities, we might learn to be at peace within our own weaknesses. 
If we can learn to see the good in other people, we might learn to forgive ourselves of the bad within us. That is why love, agape love, sparking joy, unconditional love, can not only save the world, it can save our relationships and even by God's grace, save ourselves. That's why this is so important. Jesus didn't say this because it was easy. Jesus said it because it might save the world. See, I don't think that loving our enemies means that we ignore the pain or suffering from the past. But it might mean that because we've survived the pain and gotten through the suffering, and because we have gotten stronger as opposed to weaker, we might be better than if happiness had happened instead. I don't think loving our enemies means that we're to become dear friends and buddy buddies with our enemies. But it might mean practicing empathy to look into their eyes and to see the same woundedness that's in our own lives, to see in their eyes the same fear and insecurity that we face, and therefore learn some things about ourselves that we would otherwise never have learned. And I don't think that loving our enemies means accepting what they did to us, especially if there was violence or abuse, because we cannot simply discard the past like we can Marie Kondo a piece of clothing and get rid of it. Instead, we can ask God to bless our past and redeem it and transform it for the future. Number one, look at yourself. Number two, Look for the good in others, and therefore learn to be at peace and forgive yourself. Number three, do good, not harm. It's about as simple and clear as Dr. King could say it. This is what he says in his sermon. Finally, when the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time in which you must not do it. There will come a time, in many instances, when the person who hates you most, the person who has misused you the most, the person who has gossiped about you the most, the person who has spread false rumors about you the most, there will come a time when you will have an opportunity to defeat that person. That's the time you must not do it. That's the meaning of love. Wow. You know, there's an old fable that's been told about the difference between heaven and hell. A man goes to God one day and asks God to show him what heaven and hell are like. And so God tells the man there are two doors, brings him to the first door and opens it, and there is a room. And in the middle of that room, there was a large round table with a large pot of stew That stew smelled delicious and made the man's mouth water. And the people sitting around the table, however, were all thin, sickly looking and hungry. They appeared to be famished. They were all holding spoons with very long handles. And each found it possible to reach into that pot and get a good spoonful of stew. But because the handle was too long for their arms, they could not get the spoons back into their mouths. The man looked at that sight and shuddered with misery. 
and said, God, this is terrible. And God said, this, this is hell. Then God showed the man the second door. Behind it, the room appeared at first to be exactly the same. There was the large round table, large pot, same mouth-watering stew. The people were holding large, long-handled spoons. But these people were nourished and plump and talking and laughing. The man said, I don't understand. And God smiled and said, it's simple. He said, love only requires one skill. These people learned early to feed one another. For, there was, for where there is hunger, there is greed. And they can think only of themselves. Loving our enemies is hard. Jesus didn't say it because it was easy. Jesus said it because it could save us. It can change the lives of others. It can change your life. And it can change the world. So let me ask you a question. Who do you have a hard time loving today? Who might you consider to be your enemy What might it mean, first of all, to look within yourself and to ask, how have I been the enemy? How have I been the persecutor? What might it mean, number two, to look for the good in someone else and thereby learn to forgive yourself and to be at peace in your own life? And finally, perhaps most simply and clearly, but most difficult at all, How might you choose to do good instead of do harm for someone else? Jesus never said it because it would be easy. He said it because it could change your life. He said it to call you on a grand adventure where together we might change the world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for these challenging words for the way that it disrupts our sense of being and our natural inclinations. We thank you again for the words and witness of Dr. King, who calls us to do the hard work so that together we might change the world by the power of your Spirit. Bless all of us who are in difficulty in relationships with others. Give us the power and the strength to forgive one another, and to find forgiveness within ourselves. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let all God's people say, Amen. And so, in response to God's Word, we offer to God our commitments and our offerings, the very commitment of our hearts and our financial contributions to the church, as well as our prayer concerns and our joys, as we invite the ushers to come forward.